Hello and welcome to the Flex. This is Matt St. Jean back with Joe Howie. Joe, it's uh, it's been a little bit. I, we haven't talked since the Sweet 16 when the Friars got eliminated by Kansas. A lot has happened between now and then that we're going to be covering. But first of all, how you doing? Oh, I, I'm great. You know, after all of the news of transfers the past couple of weeks, um, you know, it's it's nice to be back on here. You know, we kind of left uh, on a bittersweet note at the end of the season, and and just so much has changed since then. Um, and uh, it, it was kind of a, a lot to digest in little chunks. So we're, we're here. We are. We're gonna feed it to you one giant pill to swallow. <laughs> Yeah, we, we once the transfer stuff started, we wanted to wait until the dust really settled before we brought anything to you. But before we get into the transfer portal, we had a pretty monumental piece of Big East news dropped upon all of us this offseason. And that's the departure of Jay Wright. He's retiring after many, many years there at Villanova. And I mean, I think he was ready to step into he would have been the face of college basketball next year, probably with Coach K gone. He's probably the most recognizable coach. He and Bill Self at Kansas would be the only two active. Sorry, he, Bill Self, and Rick Pitino would be the only three active coaches with multiple national championships. And with, with Jay Wright's stature and where that program had been, I mean, he was going to be probably the guy in college basketball, but he's tired. He's going to step away. He's going to take his time with his family. And I, ta- I talked about just an absolute coaching legend there. I believe he's already in the Hall of Fame. It's it's bittersweet to see him go. I'm not going to miss playing him, but I will miss the other Big East schools having to go against him. That's for sure. Um. Yeah, I, I mean, I think obviously when it when the news first dropped, the the first thing that popped into everyone's mind is health because it was so sudden and so out of the blue. Obviously, as you peel back the layers, you find out that his health is fine and that this is a, a decision that he's been contemplating since the Big East tournament time. So a month and change that this has been going on in his head. Um, and I think, you know, I was ecstatic when Coach K uh, left, you know, Coach K had a reputation of being the villain. Um, he was a, a jerk to the media, you know, didn't necessarily handle himself with the utmost class. So seeing Coach K leave, you know, definitely sweet. Um, you look at objectively what Jay Wright's done to the conference and um, what he's done to Villanova and, you know, with reconfiguration of the Big East and whatnot. And he's objectively been very successful and has been very good for the conference. With all of that said, I'm also ecstatic that he's leaving because um, I'll tell you what he he him and Villanova have assumed the villain role for the better part of a decade, um, and I, I think it's it's refreshing that there's going to be a change and a shakeup in the conference. Um, that I, obviously I view him differently than I view Coach K, as I think a, a majority of Big East fans do. But um, I think it's more sweet than bitter for me to see him go. It, it, just my personal take on it. Yeah, it's you're never going to be upset when the villain leaves the conference. That's for sure. Um, but I mean, he's I you talked about him against Coach KJ, right? Obviously, just a quality human being to go with being a quality coach. He retires with 520 Big East wins, third all time, only behind Jim Calhoun and Jim Beheim. Beheim, yeah. 
the active leader now in Big East wins is none other than Ed Cooley. He has 221 of them. Greg McDermott in second with 196 of them. So that right there, I mean, those two guys are who the torch is being passed to in this conference. Two very, very good coaches in their own right. Uh, Jay Wright, he won the regular season in the Big East eight times. He won the tournament five times, made the final four twice, two national championships. Just going through the accolades there, he's he has earned that respect. Would you say it's fair, though, Joe, that, to say that we're in a, a new era of the new Big East? You know, Matt, uh, um, I can't help but think of the timeliness of all of this news dropping and you know what came before it just a few weeks back we were celebrating ed cooley winning national coach of the year um he won big east coach of the year and led providence to its first regular season championship jay wright retires in the off season which is followed a few days later by some high impact transfers hitting providence with the reigning coach of the year nationally and in the conference you can based on the stats you just said you can't help from a providence point of view but think that with this shakeup, with jay wright leaving with all the changes that's happened to providence's profile over the past let's call it two months that providence perhaps is the team that's rising to the top of the conference now and that we get to play the villain role now obviously that gets ahead of ourselves a little bit because a lot of these guys haven't taken the floor yet but you just look at the momentum and the narratives going into all of these decisions and backing everything in the order in which all the news came out, you can't help but think, okay, it's our turn. We're taking the top now. Yeah, and that's absolutely the case. When you look at the transfer stuff, we do want to talk about some of those players, but uh, I, I want to say a couple other things on this Jay Wright thing. I don't think it's that much of a coincidence that you see Jay Wright retire, Coach K retires, Roy Williams retires last year, um, and you had... Guys like Mark Turgeon at Maryland and Chris Mack at Louisville just step away from basketball. And, I mean, these are all legendary or close to legendary, the high-profile coaches stepping away from basketball in the last two years. The sport is changing. It's become much, much better for the players. And part of this is that, I mean, we've seen the way the recruiting cycle works now. The recruiting cycle doesn't end at this point. You can get recruited away from a school at any point. You can recruit players to your school at any point. So uh, the age, I think, of being a coach that's going to recruit guys, stash them for a year as a redshirt, develop them by year two or three, they're really a, a good player. That era might be over. And that was Jay Wright's specialty. Now you got a guy. I mean, we've seen what Ed Cooley has done with the transfer market in the past. It's why he won Coach of the Year last year. He's working that magic again. It's kind of a new skill set that is important to be a head coach in college basketball. And like when the Friars had Rick Pitino when the three-point line got added, it seems like the Friars might have the right coach at the right time for some rule changes. Absolutely, Matt. That's a great point you just brought up. And I, and, and even thinking, too, before you know the, this uptick the past two off-seasons with the transfer market, obviously, you know, a lot of that's a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. But even before that, Luan Pipkins was a transfer. And what goes under the radar a lot is that Horkler and Bynum were redshirt transfers. Um, mm-hmm. So 
yes, Durham and Manaya had some severe impacts last season, and they were immediate transfers with immediate eligibility. But you look at Horkler and Bynum. You look at Ed Croswell, too. Pipkins, like you look at these guys, Ed Cooley has cultivated a, a program that really embraces the transfer portal, and he seems to be settling comfortably in the new landscape shift that we're seeing across the sport of college basketball. That's and, and, why, Matt. Go ahead. Yeah, and you go back to Emmett Holt, Isaiah Jackson, those guys transferred in. You actually have to go back quite a ways to find a Providence team under Red Cooley that didn't have a guy that transferred in that made an impact. I mean, there was Tyler Harris. He was an example of that pretty early on. You really you really have to go back to probably the first year with Ed Cooley in Providence to find a year where he didn't have an instant impact transfer. So, yeah, I mean, this is something that he has been really really good at his whole time and you look at the kind of person that cool he is he likes to give people second chances that's who he is yeah and in the world today and the way that the transfer market works that is huge it's massively helpful it's why he's such a good person it's why he's such a great ambassador for the school and the program and it's a pretty big reason why he won coach of the year last year yeah i i mean you hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, and like you said, Matt, this is, you know, this is a, a landscape of college basketball that, you know, heavily favors the player now, mm-hmm. um, especially you look at the new name, image and likeness rules that have been set in place. Like you've got guys like Doug Eddard, you know, <laughs> had no real name for himself before the NCAA tournament is getting an NIL deal with Buffalo Wild Wings. Um, we, Did for, you do you see what happened with the, the uh, Kansas State transfer, Nigel Pack? I think he I did see that. Transferred to Miami. He's getting $400,000 a year plus a car from one of the alumni for going there. Right. Like, it, that's, it's... That's, that's what we're doing right now. It, it's just, it's the, the nature of the sport. I mean, for Providence fans, Noah Horkler, you know, he was getting offers from Manscaped, um, Wings Over. A bunch of guys had Wings Over on their resume, mm-hmm. too, but... You just look at, at the nature of the game. It's it's heavily swaying towards the players. Um, and luckily for us, Ed Cooley was a, a half step, if not a step ahead of the curve. So he was prepared. His coaching staff was prepared. And he's cultivated this program so that it is in favor of the player. Not maybe not everybody. It, you know, sometimes the shoe doesn't fit and, you know, the fit isn't right. Like Greg Gant, uh, Bryson Goodine, Legend Jeter. Sometimes it just doesn't work out. But more times than not, it does. So, luckily for us, Ed Cooley ha- has adapted to this this changing uh, landscape of college basketball, and you know, hopefully, it, it serves big dividends in the seasons ahead. Yeah, let's talk about while well, we're talking about changing landscapes. The Big East changing. It's not just Jay Wright. He was not the only new face uh, or old face leaving. But we have some not-so-new faces coming in as replacements. Xavier, Travis Steele, out. Sean Miller, in. Uh, Butler, Laval Jordan, out. Thad Mata, in. And Kevin Willard, out at Seton Hall. He went to Maryland in what deal it seemed like everybody knew was happening about a month in advance with Shaheen Holloway coming in from St. Peter's. Who yeah. Just about everybody, I, it sounds like before they even made that Sweet 16 run that... Shaheen Holloway was the guy. 
Yeah, that we like he he already, he already had the deal. He was just able to renegotiate after all that and get himself a little bit more money. Holloway's a guy who coached under Willard and played at Seton Hall. Thad Mata coached at Butler for one season well before they were in the Big East. Uh, this is a long, long time ago now. Longtime coach at Ohio State. And Sean Miller <laughs> coached at Xavier before they were in the Big East and spent some time at Arizona. I want to start with him because he's probably the most accomplished of these three coaches. He's also under the highest scrutiny. Odds are he's going to start off this season with a suspension because of the nefarious things going on at Arizona. I don't think – I think uh. he's going to – it's going to be like a two to five game suspension from the rumors I've heard. So obviously not enough to stop him from getting hired. I think he's pretty close friends with Cooley too. This is, I think the most interesting of the hires. I think so too, Matt. Um, and, and, you know, throughout the season, I obviously bagged on uh, what's his name, Travis Steele a ton. Um, but if you look at to, to give him credit where it's due, um, he, you know, inherited a Xavier program that was really coming off of a high. And he had some high expectations set that he really just couldn't hit. Sideline antics aside, like he did the best that he could with the program and you never root for someone to lose their job. But at the end of the day, he did what he could have done. Um, and at the that's the beneficial business move for Xavier basketball is what it comes down to. Um, Miller as the hire. Um I mean, we saw we saw the reactions of a couple of the Xavier guys on Twitter, CapEx, um, Andy, all those guys. It's exciting. Um, obviously, you know, he's a tenured coach with uh, quite the infamous uh, <laughs> resume, to say he the least. He comes with a reputation. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, he comes with a reputation, um, but he does inherit a, a roster that is, for the better part, you know, intact you know not a lot of guys left um that ha- that had the option to so he's returning a team a xavier team that just won the nit so that's a team that that has some cohesion has some some gel um still hate Fremantle. i think he's soft but we'll see what happens with the right coaching we'll see if 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 his demeanor changes if his style of play changes we'll see what happens with xavier yeah uh, sean miller in his first go around at xavier he won 120 games, lost 47. He won the regular season in the A-10 his last three seasons there, made the NCAA tournament his last four seasons there, left there in 09 for Arizona. And he was a three-time Pac-10 or Pac-10 slash Pac-12 because it expanded while he was there, coach of the year. So successful tenure at Arizona, did not make the tournament there. His his last three seasons there, he gets fired, he gets caught up with the FBI probe. A lot going on. I mean, they they would have made the tournament back in 2019-20. But they, they decided to go in other directions with the FBI probe. Clearly a good coach. Uh, he did an interview on John Rothstein's show, which I'll suggest you guys all listen to. It was, it was very good. The moral issue on Sean Miller aside, that's a very good coach. That's a great hire for Xavier. He should be should take them up a notch right off the bat. I think the second most interesting hire is Thad Mata at Butler because this is a Butler program that has not recruited well recently, has not played good basketball in two years, and Thad Mata left Ohio State due to health reasons. He's a little bit older of a coach. I, I'm not sure what the long-term plan is here. Uh, I agree, Matt. When that hire was dropped, I was kind of dumbfounded. I had no idea. Like, 
because like you said, he left due to health reasons. I was like, he's coming back. Um, I don't know if this is a long-term play or if it's it's a short-term Band-Aid. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I really can't read into it too much. Um, what I will say is I liked Laval Jordan. Out of the outgoing coaches, he is cl- the clear-cut favorite for me. I like Laval Jordan a lot. I always thought he held himself with class, even through Butler's more recent struggles. Um, everyone talks about Jay and Ed and you know, the class that they hold, I think Laval Jordan tops both of them, to be completely honest with you, because he had a team that was in the gutter uh, for the last two seasons. And as far as I know, never really lost his cool with the media, never really, you know, threw anyone under the bus. I just, I thought Laval Jordan was a class act. I think the way in which Butler let him go um, was kind of, uh, it was tough. It was shitty on them, to, to, yeah. to for lack of a better term, because there, the timing were, of everything was just really poor, poor, poor. Yeah. That was, part. I mean, it was for the money, and they're a program with that does not have the most resources. So I understand why they did it. But, yeah, if you're Laval Jordan, you're not going to be too pleased about that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Thad Mata, I mean, he's been a longtime coach in college basketball. Last coached in the 2016-17 season with Ohio State. He made the NCAA tournament back in 2014-15. With um, he was with Ohio State for over a decade. He he also spent three years at Xavier when they were in the A10, right before Sean Miller got there, and one year at Butler when they were in the Midwest Collegiate Conference, <laughs> which later, if I'm reading this correctly, later became the Horizon League. Um. An interesting group of schools in that one, that's for sure. Non-existent conference now. That was 2000-2001, 24-8 uh, Thad Mott is a very successful coach all-time, 74% winning percentage. So probably a pretty good hire there short-term. Long-term, we'll see what happens. The last coach here, Shaheen Holloway. Uh, this is the highest publicized one and probably the one everybody's the most excited about. Yep. This should be uh, I I'm I'm looking forward to these Seton Hall Providence games with him there. I am too. Um, What I what what concerns me is translating a Cinderella run in the tournament to uh, a heavily impactful first year at a new program. Listen, I'm not going to deny that Shaheen Holloway is a good coach. He runs some nice sets. Obviously, they had some huge upsets in the tournament over some high-profile teams. What concerns me is that was a Cinderella run, and there's a reason it's called March Madness. It's about matchups. It's about styles of play. It's about the draw. And St. Peter's was fortunate to play well up until – they got the doors kicked off them by UNC, who went on to the title game. Um, at the end of the day, I, I think he will do good things at Seton Hall. Does he take Seton Hall to the top 25 uh, in his first season? I don't think so. Does he make Seton Hall overly competitive in a tough conference? Yes. Is Seton Hall slated for a top six finish? I don't know. 
Um, I, I'm not trying to disrespect him. I'm just trying to be objective here because I do think there is a lot of positivity and a lot of hype around him. But I do think you need to look at the logistics of things, too. Yeah. And I think I, I agree with everything you said there. I think this is a hire that probably ends up being a really good one in the, the long term. Yes. It's, it's also probably going to take him a little bit to make this adjustment. I think Seton Hall is immediately going to play tough basketball. A lot of times when there's new coach brought in, you're going to see some new life there, too. I think Seton Hall has gotten a little bit dead on offense, and I think that yep. this is going to help out their offense quite a bit. And we know that they're going to stay tough. But when it comes to recruiting at the highest level and actually being able to put everything together, it'll probably take a year or two to get where they can get. So I, I think this probably has the least impact of all three of these hires year one. But year three or four probably – most the second most depending on what happens with sean miller yeah i agree um like i said we said thad matta is a a short-term band-aid for the program i think shaheen holloway is a long-term fix for seton hall um yeah similar to tony stubblefield i don't think uh, seton hall will be as bad as DePaul was this year in stubblefield's first year but I think you're going to see a similar progression where, you know, you're going to lose a couple of tough games, but you're also going to win a couple of really good nail biters. So uh, I think there will be some trade offs. But at at the end of the day, long term goals, Holloway's the right guy for Seton Hall. Agreed. Agreed. Kevin Willard was the 2015-16 Big East Coach of the Year. He's at Maryland now. That's going to also be an interesting situation to watch to see how that unfolds. But lots of changes in the Big East with the coaches. Even more changes coming to the Friars with this lineup. We got a whole host of transfers. I mean, there's there's a lot of turnover on this roster. Really, the only guys that are staying, it's Bynum, Breed, and Croswell, and Castro is going to be there too. He didn't play last year. Everybody else is going to be new. Lots of guys to talk about here. Joe, where do you want to start with this one? I there is a lot to ingest here um it just i don't know you go ahead you pick all right <laughs> i really don't uh, know. i want i want to start with the first one noah Locke. okay go ahead well noah lock is a guy who <laughs> he got recruited by providence for the third time they wanted him coming out of high school didn't get him he went to florida they wanted him when he transferred from florida last year didn't get him he went to louisville and now with chris mack out at Louisville, he decided to leave, and they got him the third time. This would this was the most surprising of the transfers in a lot of ways because nobody saw he didn't visit the campus. He just kind of announced, right, I'm, "I'm going to Providence." I remember I was my girlfriend and I were traveling for Easter, and we had a layover in Baltimore, so we were eating at a restaurant there. And I pick up my phone and I see the notification. Wait, what? We did. I didn't know we were even recruiting him again to come in. But this is the he and Clifton Moore. I think we could talk about next or the veterans of the group. Locke was once a top 100 guy, a good three point shooter. To me, he kind of fills that AJ Reeves role. I just in a little bit smaller body. Yeah. Um. I think he slots in at the true shooting guard role, which is something that we, for correct me if I'm wrong, we haven't had a true shooting guard two guard in a very long time. 
we've had a lot of hybrid uh, combo guards that will handle mm-hmm. the ball or, you know, play off the ball, but will, you know, bounce back and forth. Case in point, Durham and Bynum. Mm-hmm. We've had a lot of shooting guard, wing guard hybrids like A.J. Reeves, where you can start at the true two, but you know, if we want to play a little bit smaller or a little bit bigger, you know, he'll jump to the three and play the small forward. So I think Locke is the the, the first true shooting guard that we've had on this roster in a very long time. Um, I, I, I think he starts right away um, just because of his experience, his eligibility that he has left. I think he slots in right away. He comes in as the most experienced player on the roster. Nobody will have played more games or more minutes than Noah Locke when the season opens in November. So that alone... Uh, I think he should provide a kind of a steady hand and some leadership there. I'm intrigued about the fit because this is a guy who's never had more than an assist per game in college. He's never averaged more than two and a half rebounds per game. He's his high for steals per game is 0.6. I mean, really his impact is as a shooter. He doesn't get to the free throw line that often. He doesn't take it to the basket he shoots threes and some mid-range. And he's, I mean, he was he's probably about as good as A.J. Reeves is a three-point shooter. He doesn't give you the defensive length that Reeves would give you. Uh, he's not quite as explosive of, as an athlete. Um, and how he fits into this offense is going to be interesting. He's not a guy that takes it to the basket, so you're going to need those guys around him. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Um I do think, though, um, with Locke and Bynum in the backcourt, that is a lot of three-point firepower, which is um, something that was rather inconsistent in the backcourt last season. And people are probably shaking their heads like, what are you talking about? Think about Al Durham. Durham and Bynum were essentially our backcourt last season. Durham hadn't made a three from late January to the Big East tournament. So a lot of it was on Bynum. So... You know, when when you're looking at your forwards like Horkler, like Reeves to, to hit threes for you, Manaya, um, to have some consistency out of the backcourt with three point shooting, I think will be refreshing. Um, with that said, Matt, this is a this is a Providence offense, a Providence system that thrives on guards slashing and cutting to the hoop. That's not Locke's uh, niche. So we'll see what happens. I, I think he'll start. Um just because of the experience factor, the the intangible game experience and leadership that he provides to the team. Roughly 20 to 25 minutes a game, maybe. Yeah, that's kind of that's where I, I see him. The 20 to 25 minutes a game, and it's going to depend on how he's shooting. He'll have some games where he's 30, 35 minutes if a shot is on. And if it's not, he's not going to play quite as much. He is a career 38%, almost 39% three-point shooter. So, I mean, he's a, a true sharpshooter. He's up there. And that impact alone, if you get a guy who can sit there on the wing, wait for his shots, and knock them down consistently, that adds kind of a gravity to the offense where guys have to respect that. And that'll open things up for guys that like to drive. The Friars did get a couple guys that like to take it to the basket in this class. But before we talk about them, let's talk about the other veteran. And that's Clifton Moore. Friars going after another LaSalle big guy. The 6'10 uh, guy, a center. 
he will have one year of eligibility remaining, as does Noah Locke. Both these guys will be able to come in for a season. So kind of, in some ways, replacing Durham and Watson right off the bat as guys who can just... Reeves and Watson with these two. Moore is 6'10 from Ambler, Pennsylvania. He played the last two seasons at LaSalle, and he played two seasons at Indiana with Durham. He and Durham, I believe, visited Indiana on the same day. So they, they have a close relationship. But the guy, the thing that stands out here for me, the defense, 2.8 blocks per game last year for Clifton Moore. If you can bring that kind of impact to the Big East and that kind of defensive presence in the middle, that's going to help out a lot, especially because the Friars may be playing a little bit more small ball next year. Yeah, and I think especially with the departure of Watson, we're not really looking at the um, – the girthiest or the the longest um, defensive assets in the paint this year. Um, obviously, that's no disrespect to Croswell or to Castro, because I think each of them brings something unique to the table with respect to the paint. But, you know, you lose a 6'10", 260 center in Watson, that leaves a hole. Um, so I'm excited for Clifton Moore, Matt. You know, you sent me his highlights. He obviously... Um, had a nice block on Eric Dixon from Villanova, who is an undersized center. So, uh, you know, I think it's going to be a refreshing change of, uh, of size in the paint um, with respect to defensive agility. Watson was more of an offensive presence. Uh, Clifton, obviously, as like we just said, is, is more defensive. I think him and Croswell will flip-flop because I think Croswell offensively provides more value to us. But mm-hmm. we'll see what happens. We'll see how he fits into the system. If he starts, if he comes off the bench, um, I know you and I were going back and forth yesterday about, you know, potential lineups. So I'm interested to see how he how he molds in. Yeah. And I mean, he definitely brings the defensive impact offensively, too. He, he wasn't a slouch. He averaged 13 points a game last year in the A-10 for a bad LaSalle team. Hit 55 percent of his two point shots. Uh, he, he is a 72% free throw shooter. That's something that Noah Locke is good at, too. They're both over 70% from the line. So I think Moore is a guy who probably, he'll probably get 15 minutes a game, 15, 20 minutes a game. He'll probably fill the minutes that Croswell had last year if Croswell has taken a step up, or depending on how, how they decide to stagger those guys and use them. Um, I really, really like this, though. I, I think he's going to be one of the – he fills an immediate role. Yeah, that's what's huge. He's not developmental. He knows who he is. He's going to step in, fill a role and be good at it. And I think an immediate need too. you look across the conference, you have Nunji returning to Xavier, Sonogo returning to UConn. Um, Who's the other one? Kalkbrenner returning to Creighton. Like you've you've got some big and versatile centers coming back. And again, no disrespect to Ed Croswell, but he's six, eight. He is not the size of Kalkbrenner or Nunji or Sonogo. So defensively, you know, he checks that box where you can have Croswell in on, on offense and, you know, get those gritty, you know, nice finesse baskets underneath. Mm-hmm. But defensively, you can have Clifton Moore shot blocking the smaller Sonogo or the taller uh, Nunji, who might be a more difficult defensive assignment for Ed Croswell. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all works itself out. Obviously, Rafael Castro is in this picture, too. He's six foot eleven. And we don't really know exactly what position he's going to play in this Providence offense. We don't know what Ed Croswell is going to do yet either. Um, obviously, Croswell is 6'8", undersized for a center, but still has played the position really well. And I don't know if you want to move him out of that position. No, I A lot agree. of options here. 
Ed Cooley's got a lot of time to think about this, and they're going to have some practices to work on this and figure out how it's going to look. Uh, I just went back in my notes, Joe. I have a note back from March 28th where I was going through. I was just looking at who was in the transfer portal. The second name I have written down was Clifton Moore. Really? Yeah. A guy right off the bat. You look at the profile. He's a fit. Yeah. He, he knows Al Durby. He's, he has connections with Providence players. He fills an immediate need. He's got nice size. He's going to play one year. He doesn't clog things up for the future, but he can give you immediate minutes and help you out. Yep, exactly. And then now I think we talk about the second group of transfers. So you have the two old guys and then you got three young guns coming in. The first of which committed on the same day as Clifton Moore. They visited together. And this is Devin Carter from South Carolina. I think I might be more excited about him than any other player in this group because I think he really is such a good fit for Providence. He's a freshman, all SEC freshman last year. He's really talented. I don't, I don't know what you've seen out of him, but I'm excited. No, I agree. Um, I think when you look at the type of guard that Providence likes to recruit, the type of um, driving and athleticism that we've seen from Chris Dunn, from David Duke, while not the same size, Devin Carter brings the same energy, uh, the same athleticism, the same style of play. Um, Matt, I know you were super excited about him. I'm excited about him, too. And I'm excited about his eligibility, too. Um, he had a successful freshman campaign, so, you know, we know he's good. Um, minutes, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, right now, I'm looking I'm in my notes. I don't have him as a starter right now. I know uh, you're – do you have him as a starter? I don't think you do. It depends on how things balance out. I think he could beat Noah Locke for a job. I think they could go small ball with three guards in either yeah. of those scenarios. He's a starter. Otherwise, I think he's probably the first guy off the bench. Okay. I, I, I yeah. Um, what's interesting um, about Carter is where he slots into the rotation. And this isn't really about him. It's more so about Alan Breed. Um, because right now we, we've got one, two, three essentially three true shooting guards that are going to be gunning for one spot unless like you said we play small ball so i think devin carter you know just because of eligibility and youth might get the short end of the stick but if his raw talent exceeds the others then he could be playing a hefty load of minutes yeah carter was a guy who was a top 100 recruit uh, last year so he has he's three more seasons to play in Providence. He'll be around for a little bit now. He played less than 20 minutes a game last year, still averaged nine points. He led all of the guards on South Carolina in rebounds per game and would have led all guards on Providence rebounds per game, 3.8. So he's he's a menace on the boards and he gets offensive rebounds, too. That's for a guy who's six, three. He has really he's really explosive. He can really get up. It shows with his rebounding and it shows because he likes to take it to the basket. We talked about how you need somebody who can do that next to a Noah Locke. If you're going to play small ball, the two of them complement each other. He's a guy. I mean, he gets the free throw line at one of the best rates in the nation. I think he's 18th in the nation in getting to the free throw line. Uh, based like efficiency based on the number of times you touch in the ball all that he averaged 3.7 free throw attempts per game last year again on less than half a game played so he's getting there 
his shot needs a little work it, it, Fred, at all levels. His two-point, three-point free throw, you want to see those numbers jump up a little bit. But he was also only a freshman. He's still scoring. Uh, he's still, I mean, he averaged nearly two assists per game last year. And he plays defense, too. So, I mean, this is a guy who's a threat to score at all three levels, but he wants to get to the basket at both sides. He wants to be aggressive. He wants the ball. Plain and simple. Yeah. yeah. And he's a he's a culture fit too. You can see on Twitter just how excited he is to be in Providence, and he's already he's interacting with the other guys. I mean, he wants to get playing with them. Yeah, and we you and I talked about that off the mic, Matt. Um, he he seems the most enthusiastic about coming here, um, and I, I think too you, you have to try and, and put yourself in these guys' shoes. Like Ed Cooley wins Coach of the Year. He takes a, a team filled with transfers to the Sweet 16, keeps them consistently ranked in the top 25, the top 15. Like it, it's an exciting time to be a, a transfer coming to Providence. Yeah. Yes, it is. We got the Friars got those three guys and then had two more commitments trickle in. The first one that came in was Corey Floyd Jr. from UConn, the first intra-conference Big East transfer ever. <laughs> and you're going from UConn to Providence. He reclassed last year to go to UConn a year early and redshirted. So he's essentially going to be the, the age of a freshman and with four years of eligibility remaining, he has not played a single real minute of basketball in college yet. He was a, a top 100 guy ranked right around where Devin Carter is. Really a similar profile from everything I've been able to see. Basically the same height. Um, Floyd has a little bit more weight on him. I don't think he is going to be a huge role next year. I think he's a little bit more developmental, especially when you get four years with him. I agree. Um, I, we talked again off the mic that this could be um, another Bryson Goodine situation. Not that he's going to transfer out, but, you know, doesn't get the playing time that he was promised by our Lord and Savior, Danny Hurley, over at UConn. Transfers to Providence. Um, I don't think he's going to make an immediate impact either. Again, he is essentially a true freshman with absolutely no in-game experience. Does that mean Ed Cooley's not going to tinker with him and and trickle him trickle him into the, the rotation whenever he can? No, I think Ed Cooley knows what he got, and I think he knows the the impact and the value of taking a, a high-profile guard from your right now your biggest in-conference rival. So. I think you, you don't look the gift horse in the mouth. Um, I also think this was also a, a, a very lovely middle finger to UConn as players just dissipated from their roster. Um, and, and the fact that one came to ours was just, oh, man, it was it was a great time to be a Friar fan that day. Oh, yes. Always nice to get a, a transfer from the hated rival from UConn. Well, we will take their trash and turn it into treasure. At least that right there is the goal. I think I think the floor for Floyd this year is he probably takes Bryson Goodine's minutes. He's probably the guy that will be the first guy off the bench in garbage time and the first guy off the bench when things aren't going well and Kulu's looking for a spark. But I doubt he'll do more. If he does more than that this year, I think you're really happy. Either you're really happy with what you've gotten him or things have gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yep. One or the other. But yeah, I think he's a guy you're kind of stashing for the future. Yeah, I agree. 
Because he's going to be, I think you got to think of him like a freshman. And there's two guards in this class, Jaden Pierre and Quante Berry, who he's going to be battling for time with. All three of those guys are talented. So only one of them is going to have an opportunity for any minutes this season unless people get hurt. Right. And I think that's a good point, too, Matt, because if you look at what what if you look at what has worked for Providence systematically over the past couple of seasons, it's a nine man rotation. Um, Once you dip into the tens and elevens, like that's where things start to get a little funky. Um, You look at 2019, 2020, that was really an eight man rotation with Greg Gant getting some minutes here and there. Um, You look at 2021. That was at some parts in the season, a 12 man rotation where you really couldn't find anything to stick until you finally gave Horkler the minutes he deserved at the end of the season. You look at last season, it was really a seven to eight man rotation with Goodine getting garbage minutes. So the tighter the rotation, the better we play. Um, so you're right. Corey Floyd Jr., Jaden Pierre and Quanti Barry, all point guards, um, all going to be fighting for that ninth spot, I think. Yeah. And then the last guy to transfer in, and most definitely not the least, is Bryce Hopkins. Transfer from Kentucky. He'll be able to play three years in Providence. As a, if when it comes to his recruiting ranking, he's the highest rated guy to come to Providence since Kriston. He's the top 40 guy in 24-7. Uh, he's a really good athlete, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, somewhere in there. He's got some weight on him. The profile describes him as a three-level scorer, which you saw in points for Kentucky last year. He didn't get a lot of playing time on what was, I mean, a very good two-seed there in Kentucky, a very good team. He did have one good game against LSU where he broke out, got into double figures. Other than that, he was having a hard time finding the minutes. But I know the, the overwhelming notion I've heard from Kentucky fans is this guy's a good kid. He's going to be a really good player where he can get time and where he can develop for a little bit. And the guy that jumps to my mind when I see him, I don't know if you got this at all. Alpha Diallo. I think he's a very similar style player. Yeah, I think, Matt, you hit the nail on the head. He fits this uh, hybrid 3-4 wing forward profile that Alpha Diallo really set. Um uh, I'm I'm excited for him. He's he is. You said Devin Carter is, is the transfer you're most excited about. Bryce Hopkins is the transfer I'm most excited about. Um, a couple years ago, you tell me, you know, a high profile athletic wing is going to transfer from Kentucky to Providence. I tell you, you're nuts. This weekend, it was a reality. And that's just the state of the program. I, I think he starts immediately and I think, you know, he's going to have an impact. He's the type of player, the the, the hybrid wing that really fits into Ed Cooley's system. He's a systematic fit. He's a, a culture fit, a gritty toughness fit. I'm excited for him to come in. Uh, I think he makes an impact immediately. He's going to start immediately. And I think with him, you add some versatility to the lineup. You know, you could play him at the four and go a little small ball. You could play him at the three and play true to size. I'm I'm very interested to see how we piece a lineup around him. I think he will be one of the focal points offensively alongside Bynum and Croswell. So really excited for him to come in. Yeah, and there's a lot of optimism around this guy, and it's warranted. He is he he's can be a really good player. It might not come this year. He's going to get the looks this year. It's going to take I think a little bit of time to develop, but he should be able to come in. And, I think he starts. I, we're both in agreement. There. I think everybody's in agreement. He's probably going to start day one in Providence. I don't think that would be a surprise at all. He has the athletic ability. He has the size to do it. 
he has nice touch on the ball, though I think you'd like to see a little bit more. But I think, yeah, this guy, I mean, he could be something really special for Ed Cooley in kind of this next wave of Providence basketball. They also, I mean, the Friars still have two uh, two scholarships open at this point. In theory, they can add more players if they want. We'll see if they do that. I think we should mention the players that left. We have three transfers out. Is that right, Joe? I think so. It Bryson is. Goodine left. Yeah. Matias Case left. And, and the morning of Bryce Hopkins coming in, we saw Legend Jeter transfer out. So I will say, this is the second year in a row now where we've had a wing forward transfer out after redshirting as a freshman due to injury with Jair Davis, now Legend Jeter. It's interesting. I'm guessing, I mean, Jeter he followed us on Twitter and he was doing an Instagram live with Rafael Castro a couple days ago. The fact that he leaves is interesting to me. I think he definitely thinks he's going to be able to get playing time somewhere else. I think he thought he was going to get a chance to start this year. And now with Hopkins coming in, he sees the writing on the wall. Yeah. Jerry Davis has found stuff immediately at Delaware. I know. I mean, we wish all those guys the best. We've heard nothing but good things about them. Right. And with those guys too, it's very hard to gauge with, you know, what you lose with them leaving. Um, you, you didn't really see him play, but I think with legend Jeter, you, you kind of had the assumption that, okay, you know, he was going to fit this wing forward role that was filled by Manaya and Horkler. Um, obviously Hopkins, the day Hopkins decides to commit, I'm sure the, the Providence administration got the nod and, and Jeter was informed, which ultimately I think drove his decision. You know, I don't know how things work on that end, but I don't think it's a coincidence that Hopkins comes in. He goes. I, I obviously we wish him all the best. We hope he gets the playing time um, that he's looking for. But um, again, really nothing to gauge off of. He didn't really play for us. But um, you know, if you can read the writing on the wall the same way that Nichols, Monroe, and Gant did last season, then you know you're better off. You know, you got to do what's in your best interest. And this is also it's the nature of the sport right now. The recruiting cycle just doesn't stop you can try and stash guys and redshirt them and develop them but you're not gonna be able to keep all of them because somebody's gonna gonna want playing time somewhere else it's the, it's the way things go i will not be shocked if we're sitting here next year talking about Jaden, pierre quante berry one of those guys leaving i think that is just the nature of college basketball uh, especially in this day and age and it doesn't really matter if guys are transferring out if you're getting better guys to transfer in. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You, you're trying to accumulate good players and guys that fit your system. So, obviously, for whatever reason, Legend Jeter's not the fit. Bryce Hopkins might be a little bit more than just a fit. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of speculation. There's a lot of hype. But at the end of the day, we won't know what happens until they hit the floor. I mean, Greg Gant, there, there was a lot of upside to him. Um, and he, he wound up losing his spot to Horkler and, and transferring out of the program. Same with Jimmy Nichols. And that doesn't mean that they're bad players. That just means that didn't fit and, and you're better off somewhere else. So we wish those guys, the, the guys leaving the best of luck in their endeavors. But, you know, definitely wallow in the upside of the guys coming in because after what happened last season, you know, we, we went from rebuilding to reloading essentially. And I think that is damn exciting for, from our standpoint. As Jared Bynum said, it's time to reload. You know, you don't rebuild, you reload. 
That's, that's the motto right now in Friartown. We got a lot of time until next season, unfortunately. But you're going to want to stay here. We're going to try to do a more in-depth breakdown of each one of these guys and give you a little bit more perspective on them. So what they might add to Providence. I know we're going to have some interviews coming up as we go throughout the offseason as well. I can't wait. And I'm already ready for next season. I've been looking ahead at what the schedule could look like. The Friars will be back, at least should be, back in the Gavit games. They will be back in the Big East Big 12 battle. So... You're going to have two high-profile games there. They're playing a little tournament at Mohegan Sun the weekend before Thanksgiving. Sprinkle in a game at URI and probably your Fairfields and Vermonts and Central Connecticut's. And that'll fill out your non-conference. We'll get that announcement at some point later in the, the summer. It's funny. We, we get we, we get March Madness. We have this whole big event. And then you get the transfer portal and you get all of this. And then all of a sudden, it's all going to die off and it's going to get real quiet for a couple of months. Yeah. Um, my brother and I were actually talking about that, you know, earlier in the week is that right now, um, you know, from March to let's call it May 1st, it's an exciting time for college basketball. You know, March Madness, the national championship, the transfers come in. But then all of a sudden you hit summer vacation and it's like you're it's like. 95 degrees in August and you're watching you're watching baseball and there's there's nothing um, no basketball news whatsoever no at least right. not college and chances are if you're listening to this you're probably as big of a college basketball homer as the two of us and I love the Yankees I love baseball but there, there's nothing like college basketball there's nothing like the season there's nothing like the hype around the season um, so you know take it Take it for for what it, take it for what it's worth. As, as it comes, soak it up because the next couple of months might be really dry. Yep. Hey, at least we got a, a little bit of excitement here, though, with the transfer portal. We're going to be back with you again throughout the offseason just to give you some Providence coverage. But this is going to do it for us. Lots of lots of optimism in Friartown. The number one transfer class in the country, according to 24-7 Sports, is coming to the Dunkin' Donut Center or whatever name it is going to have next oh, season. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That'll be a situation to monitor. But I'm Matt St. Jean. That's Joe Howie. Make sure you're following us on Twitter for all the hijinks over the summer. We'll talk to you next time. Go Friars.